0: Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, we have no time for long pauses or dramatism or the melodrama which normally plagues the first 30 seconds of this show. This week, we have the 29th Cabinet of Canada being appointed. We have an election in Hong Kong. And we have the, I think, smallest country we have ever covered the Marshall Islands. Population of only fifty six thousand.
1: Mm, yes,
0: we're doing a Pacific Rim roundup here because we've had a lot going on in the last few weeks. We didn't get an episode earlier this month when we wanted one, and so now we have a subnational election in Hong Kong. We've got bad and cleanup here in Canada with the
1: <laughs> with the cabinet
0: <laughs> appointments and yeah, yeah, yeah. the Marshall Islands, which are an election that happened in the South Pacific, but it involves Russians. Chinese, Americans, a bunch of different nuclear bombs. There's (laughs) rising sea levels. I don't know what.
1: It's, yeah, it's like the thing that you don't know is incredibly important, but is is a lot happening. That's what, I think that's what this whole thing is. It's a whole bunch of things that we maybe undervalue as being incredibly important (laughs) events.
0: Undervalue as being incredibly important. I think... Yes, Canadians do that. Okay, we're going to be starting with the appointment of the 29th Canadian Ministry mm-hmm. by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on November 20th. Mm-hmm. That is the cabinet. The cabinet is a privileged group of folks that get to do a bunch of things maybe that other people don't get to do, but also I feel like if we went out on the street, which we don't do. We record from the <laughs> <laughs> coziness of our caves.
1: Yeah, I don't love mixing
0: with the public. <laughs> that's not a good attitude (laughs) oh but i mean and by public of course you don't mean our listeners you mean oh no you know other other people who are not obviously the people that we care about. and so if we asked a lot of people though Mm -hmm. and even myself and maybe you because we were talking about this earlier what the heck (laughs) what does the cabinet do (laughs) What's the point of a cabinet minister? What's like a senior minister, junior minister type positions? Why are there so many of them? Why do the ministries change or the portfolios change? And then, of course, what is a deputy prime minister? <laughs> but what does the cabinet do? What What is a cabinet?
1: So, yeah, they're the group of people that the prime minister typically chooses to work on the priority areas so ministries are to a certain degree they are all ministries that'll probably always be there or will get slightly shifted so you always have a minister of finance probably a minister yeah. of justice to um but like how those will look might change government to government a little bit like yeah. responsibilities change but they're given portfolios so jobs um to direct uh the different functions that the federal government does in and and make sure that they're led by the way that the government who who's been elected wants meeting their objectives um and so it does change there's a lot of ministries and i'm sure we'll talk cabinet ministers in here who have different titles than they would have that previously existed and that has a lot to do generally with the priorities of the liberal government's platform that they ran on Um, So it's, yeah, it's all about implementing the different components because you couldn't, I don't think anybody would possibly expect the prime minister to be able to actually implement all
0: these different
1: elements. So, yeah.
0: So we've got like kind of the prestigious ministers of health, justice, transport, not really prestigious, but it's a big portfolio, national defense. And so, and there are other kind of positions which people may have heard about following this election the appointment of these cabinet ministers such as like party whip
1: mm-hmm, yeah.
0: where you move out of kind of a ministerial role and move into this kind of informal role that's also still yeah uh, an important role uh but let okay let's not talk about that <laughs> because i feel i don't know what does the whip do i feel like we've never talked about this on the show either so and why does the yeah. whip do why is it called a whip <laughs>
1: It's yeah, so I think it's probably slightly different system to system, but you're mm-hmm. looking at a situation for Trude- the Trudeau government where the whip actually, or, or the person who sort of corrals people into voting and supporting legislation and getting through, um, is very important because we have a minority government. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that they don't have enough votes um, in their party to get any anything particularly through. So they will need par- other members of the they need all members of their party to vote. So they need to be able to whip or convince everybody that they it's, they have to follow the party line. And then they also brought in, in a minority situation, they also have to try and get the votes where they're needed from the other parties um, and work towards that. I mean, a lot of it is every, every one of these people are, I think it's easy to forget you're, you're electing people who had previous jobs usually, or have previous Mm. expertise. A lot of the time that's what they're running on. Um, so uh, for the government to be able to look in and pull out those expertise and place them into different ministries, sometimes you have very qualified people running uh, running these ministries. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't, and it's uh, because <laughs> I think something we're, 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 we might need to talk about is like the distribution has to be
0: done regionally to sort of yeah. please. And so this was a huge point and kind of has a little bit to do with vote whipping mm-hmm. slightly. Is that... <laughs> I think to touch on both points is that often a whip will... To think of a government or a political party as kind of like one monolithic thing Mm -hmm. isn't really necessarily the way that it is. It's a bunch of people who generally kind of agree on these core things, Mm -hmm. but then on certain things that you're going to be voting on, some members may disagree or may feel neutrally or that legislation may strongly impact one constituency Mm -hmm. and not another. And so you might have to vote for something. And it's like, okay, well, this vote will then put all of this, all of this money into this region. If you're having, if say it's some sort of industry that's heavily in say Montreal. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. And so another, and then somebody from some other region might say, hey, okay, I'll vote for this, but I need something in return for my constituents mm-hmm. because I agree yeah. generally that this should happen, but I think it should happen for you know my people equally as well. And so- the whip will kind of dole out <laughs> those, those bonuses alongside those other things. But regionally, for Justin Trudeau, this was a really difficult cabinet to put together, mm-hmm. missing or having no seats at all in Alberta or Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And generally, you want, <laughs> and historically, there has been uh ministers from all regions because it's kind of it elevates certain regions when they have when you have a minister in that riding
1: yeah and a lot of like the positioning i mean it i i don't think it's to say that people are reading a lot into it but you pick ministers for the symbolic representation so i think we'll get into christia freeland as the deputy pm but Um, it's important to note that, um, I think the, the liberals, the government are really leading with the fact that she was born in Alberta and so, (laughs) and so can bridge some gaps and like, that's more probably, I think in a lot of ways, more symbolic than it is, you know, actually meaningful. Um, but it matters to say we've thought about the fact that we don't have anybody from Alberta
0: born in alberta but lives in toronto and spends most of her time in ottawa yeah and this is another point is i was looking at the uh population breakdown of canada and their Mm -hmm. regions and how much that is reflected by the cabinet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and ontario and quebec key battlegrounds for the liberals in this past election yeah heavily represented in cabinet now
1: Yes, they definitely won that. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) And so you touched on a little bit with Christia Freeland, um, who was in the news a ton over the last couple of years renegotiating NAFTA, Mm -hmm. the USMCA, kind of having a very prominent role and Mm -hmm. now not having that portfolio anymore, but having a much larger but also (laughs) (laughs) ill-defined portfolio that is... Deputy Prime Minister. Another that we talk about how we don't elect a Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we definitely didn't elect a Deputy Prime Minister. <laughs> where where does this position come from? Oh,
1: um, it's it's. I think it was. I think I read that it was actually established by uh, Trudeau the senior. Yes. Um, JT's dad. <laughs> yeah, P- Pierre Trudeau brought it in, and I think in some ways it's it um, it's meant to serve as i think in in Trudeau's situation currently it's meant to serve as like a sort of a humbling of him to the, the this and and making it seem more like he's you know aware that there were mistakes made and that they're going to try and do better and they're going to be regional and collaborative and um, and there won't be as many screw ups as there <laughs> there had been <laughs> i guess but i think it also <laughs> Okay. It, it places somebody very close to Trudeau, again, that symbolically is supposed to be close to Alberta, whether mm-hmm. or not that matters. Um, and yeah, and it, it it just it sort of helps to take somebody who I think is seen as having done a very good job in mm-hmm. her role um, and have have a high profile at the moment um, and, and place her closer to the prime minister and... I, I, I think a lot of it ends up being symbolic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but it, she she's working on this reach these regional strains. Um, she'll be going to all these places, making uh, agreements and, and discussing with them. And then to say she's deputy PM, you know, she, she's got Trudeau's ear. She's right beside him. They're mm-hmm. going to figure that he's prioritizing this is a lot of what it is. And I imagine that historically, that's a
0: lot of what it is. She's also the minister of intergovernmental affairs as yes. well, which kind yeah. of makes sense of what you were just saying with kind of, because a lot of what this is going to come down to in the prairies, at least with mm-hmm. the federal government is working with provincial governments and that is not going well right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the kind of provincial situation. I, there was one, I there was a whole, this was kind of a bummer to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously nothing was going to happen, but leading up to the cabinet being announced, there was a lot of excitement about whether or not Nenshi was going to be, <laughs> was because go- you don't actually have to be a member of parliament to no. be yeah. in cabinet, right? To be a minister. And so people were like, oh, maybe Nenshi's going to come, who is the uh, mayor of Calgary. And people were like, well, and then there was all this debate whether or not he would have to step down as the mayor of <laughs> Calgary to be able to do it. And there was one NDP riding that was won in Alberta, and there was whether or not they'd put somebody from the NDP in cabinet as a Liberal, even though they wouldn't cross the floor, and even though it's not a uh, a joint government type of situation. Mm-hmm. I don't, there was a whole lot of theorizing going on. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's just, oh, never mind. We have a bunch of ministers from Quebec and Ontario instead.
1: Yeah, I, I imagine. Yeah, in a lot of ways. I think that there's going to be a few regions, uh, a few, you know, it's so concentrated in Quebec and Ontario that I think there will be some regions that feel a little bit uh, left out in this, but Mm -hmm. you're definitely trying to, I think that when you're forming this government that probably they were trying to, you know, do the least controversial thing that they could and keep it, you know, to to bring in Ninchi I think would would definitely cause a bit of a kerfuffle. Uh, to bring somebody from another party, we may all agree that that would be an innovative use of the full, <laughs> dyna- full scope of what you can do in a parliamentary system. That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. It would have, it could have been a good opportunity. But I suspect they just they're they're sort of taking the safe route. Um, yeah. and you know that's a, that is a choice. I, but I think <laughs> no. you. You're talking about, uh, yeah, a country that is, we're sort of, the liberals have been accused of being kind of half and half between climate change and extracting our natural resources. Um, and in this cabinet, they clearly centered climate change in a lot of their um, ministerial appointments. Um, but they also have provinces like Alberta, like Saskatchewan, who are not as on board and who are, and in Alberta, who have governments that are very explicitly um, opposing Saskatchewan as well. Um but I think Alberta is notably a bit louder. Yeah. So you you need the the building those relationships and prioritizing that was very clear um, in in the choices and how they made those choices. Um, like assigning uh, prominent activists, environmental activists, to the Heritage Ministry. I think mm-hmm. you know there's a reason for that.
0: <laughs> and speaking of uh, climate change being centralized in the cabinet Catherine McKenna Mm -hmm. the Minister for Environment and Climate Change no longer the Minister for Environment and Climate Change now we have Jonathan Wilkinson Mm -hmm. with uh, Catherine McKenna moving over to Minister of Infrastructure and Communities
1: yeah and I think look that's it's important. I, I do a lot of research in infrastructure and communities. Uh, in my, and So I think it'll be very interesting to see what um, impact bringing somebody who worked in the environmental, uh, mm-hmm. in the environment ministry over to that ministry. Because I think you definitely bring that perspective and that understanding yeah. to how you're going to do it. Um, and so I would be really excited to hear from, to hear uh, what she t- does with it and how she Mm -hmm. makes a mark on it i think it's it yeah it's a different it's maybe maybe it could be viewed as a lesser ministry
0: uh but i don't know i don't know if that's fair i mean it would be interesting to get don wright's perspective on this (laughs) with kind of how how much we talked about climate change moving from the from grassroots up Mm -hmm. and kind of the communities coming together to do these sorts of things Mm -hmm. kind of interesting move over to uh communities
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because she's yeah, she's been very much like the one going to cops and working at those uh, Mm -hmm. international bodies that are talking about it to come and take that experience and work at a much more community uh, face to face with Canadian sort of level would be it's it's a transition. Yeah,
0: can actually get things done.
1: (laughs) Well, hopefully, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we got a lot to cover today. Yes, we can't dawdle we can't cover all 37 ministers (laughs) uh i will note just in closing that when you go to like justin trudeau's website right like Mm -hmm. Mm pm.gc.ca the to get to to the cabinet like listing you click on (laughs) it's next to justin trudeau it just says the team okay (laughs) like there's some sort of like startup and they're like get to know us we're just like hanging out having a beer it's the team yeah. Just, call, just just call the page cabinet guys I don't know. yeah
1: i mean i'm just... not like there's a few branding choices like middle again the minister of middle class prosperity like these sort of clear branding
0: choices they've made that aren't ringing very well with me but i don't know oh I, yeah i can't believe we talked about that for so long we did bring up the middle class prosperity as if yeah i guess nobody else cares about that so we just yeah yeah Look. one one minute what does that mean what what is like your quantifiable mandate as the minister for middle-class prosperity
1: yeah i think the real it's like it's because it's you know hard to say uh we're gonna try and reduce the amount of people who are struggling and in poverty rather than i think that's probably what it is mostly um that there's not a that this is a sunny optimistic way of saying you know we want to increase the income of canadians
0: yeah the uh the wikipedia page sheds no light
1: yeah As, i mean she couldn't
0: two sentences long
1: they asked her to define <laughs> what it the, they asked her to define it the minister and she couldn't do it so I, I think there is a problem there's a problem that they're gonna run into
0: yeah anyway speaking of running into problems <laughs> 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 uh, all right we're running out of time yeah where are we going first we're we going to hong kong we're we going to the south pacific uh let's go to hong kong real quick let's talk about hong kong okay so there was a subnational election in hong kong Mm-hmm. hong kong not its own country anymore no part of china
1: yeah i mean it hasn't uh, been its own country for a while so hopefully yeah. people got that yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but recently hong kong been all over the news Hmm. personally hearing personal anecdotes left and right for us of uh, people that we know <laughs> who are in hong kong there have been these ongoing riots due to kind of the rest of china Wanting to have more control over what has generally been a quite autonomous region of mm-hmm. Hong Kong. Um, and the current leader in Hong Kong uh, was kind of uh, bowing to the uh, desires of the rest of China, saying that our, originally there was this extradition bill, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Of allowing people from Hong Kong to be extradited to the rest of china uh people are very upset about this there's been mm-hmm. ongoing riots for months now many yeah
1: months. at least since august
0: uh, yeah and so, at june yeah, I guess. Since, yeah and so then there's this regional election mm-hmm. and you can walk us through this kind of just quickly <laughs> i guess and, uh where there was this just huge uh repudiation of the status quo in hong kong
1: yeah, um it's yeah, it was a it's a big deal in many ways. There are a few ways that it is not and we'll kind of I think we'll try and get through to through to that, but um basically the thought was that this election from people who are very pro Beijing, um which is to say pro China, not Hong Kong. Um Thought that this would be the opportunity for like sort of the quote unquote silent majority, where to to voice that they are not as anti Hong Kong that that these protesters who were who were you know causing such uproar and violence um, were not the representation of the majority. Mm -hmm. Um, Then these local elections they really are pretty local. The people elected are not in charge (laughs) very much. Um, other than like, you know, parks and it's, it'd be like electing a city councilor. Um, but, but 2.94 million people turned out to vote compared to 1.4 million in 2015. So that's, that's huge. Um, and then pro-democracy candidates, I think they won 60% of the vote, but I think like 90% of the seats or something like that. Because, again, first-past-the-post system. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I mean, either, even in a proportional system, like, 60% of the vote would get you a lot of the seats. So, yeah, yeah, outright won um, in many, and beat many very pro-Beijing candidates who had been, like, staunchly Uh pro-Beijing. There is some sort of argument that uh, in some situations they were voting for the pro-democracy people because they were just trying to protest the... The pro Beijing person, but not Mm -hmm. so much about what the the other individual represented. But like, yeah, some very significant writings went that way. It's significant in it's the the impact that they can have is significant in that like they can send 117 of them of the of the like uh, what is it 300? I guess they got 347 seats total. Mm -hmm. Um, a district council seats of 452, and they can send 117 of those people. To uh, contribute to whoever would be the new uh, Hong Kong's leader, yeah, um, who who is currently like and is will probably continue to be somebody who Beijing supports um, mm-hmm. because it's a lot. It, they need a lot more than 117 people to get the get a, who choose their leader in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, but the they could potentially sort of be a kingmaker. Um, so if they really don't want one person and they could settle for some, they could force a settle for somebody who is not that person they really don't want. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and China like didn't even respond to what had happened until I think today. So you, there's a bit of, it. it's causing, uh, you know, it, people are perplexed
0: about what to do, I guess. Today being November 27th. Yes. 2019. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's Hong Kong politics in China are interesting because never mind proportional representation but mm-hmm. the way that the actual government in uh, the rest of China is elected is well now with president G kind of totally throwing out the rule book of how a president is even elected and this you know term for life and the way that it's mostly rich people and businesses that kind of it the Wikipedia page for how, or forum posts, probably to kind of get an idea of what's going on in China and the way that the government is elected, was super interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could do an episode on <laughs> politics of the most populous country in the world. Maybe that's yeah. something we could talk about. This government oh. is <laughs> responsible for uh, 14% of everybody. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about the politics
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm for that uh we should just like <laughs> confirm we don't have immediate plans to go to china but otherwise i am on board um uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we i yeah i mean let's go to china let's record in yeah let's do the yeah. let's do the man on the street thing that we were talking about earlier. oh yeah
1: let's start in china <laughs> we've, we've never done it before but go big or go home
0: I uh, it's audio. We could just say we're in China. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's not like we lie about anything else, but nutshell, everything. Yeah, no, it's all it's all uh, above board. So we're in Canada.
1: Yeah, but I guess so. But like to get, I guess to what kind of what I think you're saying is like China doesn't have a democracy. Yeah, and Hong Kong, while well, it's it's flawed in what Beijing and China will let them do, do have Mm -hmm. considerably more freedoms and um, their right to assemble is protected, which it's not um, in China. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in theory protected. I mean, it's been really tested lately, but um, it's like the only, it's the only place in China that can mark Tiananmen square um, and what happened there Um, for, you know, probably pretty obvious reasons, but, um, the, and this extradition bill, I think is representative, the extradition bill that they tried to put in is very representative of like an existential fear, like in, because there, this freedom, uh, to assemble yeah. a lot of these conditions of like two, two governments systems, one country is only protected until, uh, 2040 something like, to, uh, yeah. so, so it, it is, you know going to come to an end um and the more that china sort of tries to reel in some of those freedoms i think the more you're going to see hong kong saying we're different we have a different system and we want that that system yeah um and then it becomes i think another playing ground right like because the u.s came out in support of hong kong which is a a big deal um yeah it's yeah it's a it's going to be a big international issue But it is kind of interesting to see, like, we were just talking about Belarus, right? Like in the last episode, where everybody is like, there's no point in voting because what's it going to do? Hong Kong, I think, arguably, um, has a few reasons to feel the same way. Um,
0: And they really voted this time. And, yeah, interesting to see voting and protests actually doing something.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Actually Uh, mattering. But speaking of the U.S. taking a stance... And speaking of coming to an end. Yes. Let's move on from Hong Kong to the Marshallese election in okay. the South Pacific. Yes. The smallest country we have ever covered. Yes. GDP of like 200 million dollars. Mm-hmm. About 50,000 people. Very small. How how close were you to the Marshall Islands when you were in the South Pacific <laughs> in Kiribati?
1: Uh. Not really that close. I can't Not name really the number, but it like, I mean, it's, it's a good distance to get there, but it, I was closer than I've ever been otherwise. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, but the, they're in the same, they're in the same region. They, I very much uh, work together on diplomatic issues, I think. And yeah. it, it, they, they would face many of the similar, similar problems. Um, and the, and China and the U S both have a similar sort of interest which we're going to get into.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, The U.S. has a strong history in the Marshall (laughs) Islands, having uh, bombed them 70 times with nuclear weapons and tests uh, during the Cold War, um, which still affects the islands today. Mm -hmm. Radiation uh, sickness uh, and fallout for many years. Also heavily influenced by the United States are the rising sea levels all around the world, (laughs) which are having a huge impact in the Marshall Islands.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) Carry on. Uh, And so I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting and of course, The Marshall Islands having kind of an interesting strategic location as Mm -hmm. well, which we've talked about previously and kind of how much how there's there's places in the world that you don't think that the United States would care about that much. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of confusing us. Like, why is this one little river so important? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. (laughs) To talk about, I guess, the Suez Canal. (laughs) (laughs) But like, why does everybody care so much? And you're like, oh, then you realize normally money. Or uh, some strategic military location.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, definitely the strategic military is part of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, and there's a there's a few things that we like to talk about with the Marshall Islands. That I think uh, it makes it very interesting to cover. It is sort of a it's it's certainly a battleground for the United, not a battleground, I guess at this point, but it's a point of it's the U S is watching it very closely because you <laughs> have a lot of countries. And the Marshall Islands being one of them saying, similar to the Marshall Islands, um, saying the U.S. is not doing enough. The U.S. is about to be the first country to pull out of the Paris Climate Change Agreement. Mm-hmm. And we have very immediate pressing problems that the U.S. is not committing anything to help us with. And, and they've sort of done the same to Australia. Um, but China, not doing great on the environment for sure, but willing to... Um, has not pulled out of the Paris Climate or Change Agreement, with or anything like that. But it's it's willing to it's willing to try and improve things. It is also willing to pour money in, um, mm-hmm. and specifically to assist with that. Um, so so far, the Marshall Islands, because of its history with the United States, has under the current government, uh, that was up for election again, stayed yeah. in line with the United States. They're generally towing the line but they're not happy with them um, well
0: and specifically how closely the marshall islands interacts with the united states specifically on the military front mm-hmm. is yeah. that the territorial waters and airspace yeah. of the marshall islands the united states has exclusive access to those mm-hmm. and yeah. this is airspace and water which is very close to china where china is trying to expand yes a lot of um, access to specifically territorial waters, mm-hmm. especially in the South China Sea. Uh, we've seen this kind of back and forth between where uh, American destroyers are just maybe sailing or mm-hmm. maybe not in the last, I don't know, probably since I was born, since before <laughs> I was born, but seemingly escalating over the last decade, uh, these kind of sovereignty issues with territorial waters and the Islands being just one kind of battleground of that.
1: Yeah. And so and if you put the Marshall Islands like in this position where they're the U.S. isn't doing much for them um, and China mm-hmm. might do something for them, um, it's yeah, it becomes very like we've seen it in uh, in Kiribati and in mm-hmm. um, one other islands whose name is escaping me at the moment. I'm sorry, the Solomon, island. the Solomon Islands, they've yeah. both rejected Taiwan, which is a rejection of, of Taiwan, but is, and in favor of China but in many ways is symbolically potentially a rejection of the United States and, yeah. and Australia as a sort of a sub-lesser <laughs>
0: member of that. Uh, <laughs> For those of you who want to know about Taiwan, listen to our – I don't know if that episode is even still available from us. Back from 2015, yeah. I think, Yeah. It was a Taiwanese was, election.
1: That was a good one, um, but
0: <laughs> – Yes, the status of Taiwan as a country, though, debated. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. Is, is it the real China?
0: ask alex um (laughs) (laughs) yeah send us an email we'll get an answer going
1: (laughs) so it yeah so it's just it's very much a contested space also every single pacific island country gets a vote in the un there are a lot of those countries and if they who they are aligned with um, is a very significant chunk of supporting anything that you know you might want to do at an international level. Um, uh, you know, getting seats in on the Security Council. If you're a country like Canada, um, a good way to do that would be getting lots of Pacific islands to support you for that for that opportunity. Mm. Um, and then I guess something that I I thought was really interesting and sort of draws attention to really how. How historically the U.S. has used the Marshall Islands and is now not really doing much for them is the fact that yeah. there's, there's this what they refer to locally as the tomb, which is just a, a nuclear crater that's covered by, uh, it, that's covered up, uh, and now every time the sea level rises even higher, the tomb lifts up, and nuclear um, radioactive soil and debris comes out from underneath it and is now spreading even further than it already had
0: we'll link to this in speak of a terrifying future like nuclear post-apocalypse
1: yeah i mean some of these places some places in marshall islands register as high as like fukushima um, in terms of radioactivity Um, so it's a big deal and the u.s is not going to do anything about they have not committed to doing anything about this growing problem
0: also, I think on, a, on an interesting democratic note and order of process kind of, of mm-hmm. voting in uh, Marshall Islands is this unconstitutional law mm-hmm. that restricts post ballots. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. So uh, back in 2016, there was a law that stripped non-resident citizens of their right to postal votes. And so further many people in the marshall islands vote by post because Mm -hmm. there are a ton of small islands yes a lot of people are leaving and moving due to this nuclear problem uh and also these rising sea levels people are just moving away but they're still citizens of the marshall islands and now the supreme court has come out and said that this law is unconstitutional but still applies for this election Mm -hmm. and so about a third i think of the citizens of marshall islands can't vote mm-hmm. in this election yeah
1: that uh yeah so that's that's a pretty big deal and i think mm-hmm. probably to a certain degree plays into the current government well i mean it almost always does the current government who would like to get reelected, who is aligned with the u.s um and and yeah. pushing that forward um yeah, and it's it's definitely a, it's a country to it's a country to watch, and I think we should definitely keep watching it, um, because uh, I think uh, a lot of very interesting things are happening on this very tiny, uh, but simultaneously quite big place.
0: Yeah, spans actually quite a big area, but yes. the land <laughs> the total <laughs> land size is quite small. Now, just on the voting issues. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting to note, this law was put into place in 2016. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court finally came out and said it was unconstitutional, so close to the election date that they said it's impossible for us to get postal votes out to everybody who Mm could have them. And interesting because of the amount of people who have moved away from the Marshall Islands may have moved to more pro-China areas. Mm -hmm. And so this seems like it's a huge kind of boon to the... American favorites, at least the current president, on the Yes, yeah. and so definitely an interesting election. Whether or not it's democratic remains up for debate, but definitely has huge ramifications yeah. regionally and and even far outstripping the the size of mm-hmm. of the country.
1: And I, I think also interesting how hard it is to get the coverage of this like there seems to be like way more (laughs) coverage on how the u.s is interested in it than how they are having an election or this like idea that they're fighting over marshall islands
0: that is true i didn't look for any elect any um news sources in marshallese maybe there are more and also i'm always you know conflicted trying to find news about these types of elections because Mm -hmm. they're all from news sources that are different than mm-hmm. those which I am familiar with, where I get my like daily news, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of easier to know the political leanings of you know the general news sources that we would see, mm-hmm. um, well whether it be like the Washington Post or the New York Times or the L.A. Times or the National Post or something, and you kind of know, or if it's like Russia Today, <laughs> then you kind <laughs> of know where it's coming from. But I don't know what the South China Morning Post, yeah. Is. Now, yeah, and so you're getting this all this information, and it's it's so hard.
1: It's yeah, it's a whole like call. extra layer of Googling to be like, who owns this newspaper? Who, yeah, like, is going it to government like just the main or... page
0: and yeah. reading a bunch of articles until you find one that's about a situation that you know about from outside sources and seeing how <laughs> it's being reported by this publication. But so like, difficult,
1: yeah, and like, even on that, like, reading. Like the BBC, I don't think necessarily did a bad coverage of Hong Kong, but it, it's also important to note that the United Kingdom like owned Hong Kong owned for Hong ri- Kong so it for really has a years. take on it. But like <laughs> yeah. a lot of the news about it is from the BBC.
0: So, yeah, yeah. They owned Hong Kong for ninety nine years, or as good as forever, which is not <laughs> the same thing at all. But might as well be, I guess. Uh, yeah. But yeah. speaking of trying to find good news sources mm-hmm. for these sorts of things. If you have been trying to find information about these elections and you're having a hard time, that's probably because you're not subscribed to the Probably About Politics newsletter Mm -hmm. where Kaylee curates a beautiful list, (laughs) the best list, top list of uh, election coverage, normally about the election that we're talking about, but also sometimes some sprinkles Mm
1: -hmm.
0: of, uh, of other elections or of just some interesting things that she's found. Uh, so get subscribed to that by emailing us at probably about politics at gmail.com yeah. or tweeting at us and we'll send you a DM or something. But think- speaking of sprinkles of other things that Kaylee has found out. Okay. There's a secretary that we're interested in.
1: The Our secretary favorite secretary. Yes.
0: of the United Nations, Antonio Gutierrez. What's he up to this week? I guess these last, these last few weeks since Belarus.
1: Yeah. Um, a lot, as you can imagine, um, as every time I say, Uh, but uh, he was in Berlin just uh, today or yesterday. I don't know. Uh, I don't keep his calendar, Um, but he (laughs) (laughs) um, primarily to help with the the peace talks uh, for Cyprus between the uh, Turkish Cyprus and Greece, Greek Cyprus, I guess. Mm -hmm um and he seems to feel that that is going well it's important to note that a few years ago he also felt that that was going well it did not end up uh going anywhere uh but you know trying again it's very contentious understandably very hard um but also while he was there he uh was he revisited the it's been 30 years since the berlin wall fell so he's Mm -hmm. he he visited the the Wall, and uh, he also talked yeah. about the UN's role in increasing internet connectivity and access, um, uh, and its its role for uh, sustainable development and uh, gender equality. Um, okay. having Yeah, which I thought was really interesting to show kind of the the breadth of what a Secretary General can sort of do in a twenty four hour twenty uh, four hour time frame. But also it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's something to consider is yeah, internet access um, is, you know, he points out is the least amount of access is in the most underdeveloped world areas that could potentially yeah. uh, benefit the most from its
0: ability to uplift. You know, I'm looking at this list of ministers here, Kayleigh, mm-hmm. and I don't see a portfolio for internet access or how expensive telecom is in Canada. Yeah.
1: Well, I think what's maybe, going on, JT? Yeah. Let's uh, look. Let's demand answers. Listeners, yeah. send yeah. mail in.
0: Who's in charge of that? Send mail to Antonio Gutierrez to get in touch with Justin Trudeau to let us know what is going on in Ottawa and why we don't have a minister for getting NDP <laughs> <laughs> platform <laughs> positions done, such as decreasing <laughs> cell phone bills. <laughs>
1: Uh, look, they ended up promising that too. They they owe it to us. My cell phone bill is high. I don't want to pay it. Come on, but it's yeah. I think he's not wrong. It's uh, and and he also is sort of talking about uh, the walls that are because he's standing in front of the Berlin Wall. Oh, like, what a poet! The, oh, the my physical goodness. and the f- <laughs> physical and digital walls that uh, countries are, are creating. Yeah, you really? know, he j- couldn't you have written it better. This? Yeah, he did. You evoked this.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Antonio, it's a little need, on
1: the nose. He said, one, he said, we need one world, one internet. Um, <laughs> and look, I might be slightly <laughs> paraphrasing, but I am not really paraphrasing very much. Um,
0: I, just, uh, I, you know, I, I get behind the scent of it. That's good. That's great, but, Antonio.
1: Yeah. I mean, 33.6 30, <laughs> 3. billion people don't have internet, affordable internet access. That's like half the world. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot and uh and then beyond that a lot of people don't have access to uh the full scope of the internet um because their country has put digital walls alex this is a very apt metaphor
0: you know what i totally i get behind it 100 Mm -hmm. percent tear down the walls let's do it
1: but you've you've delayed enough and the listeners are waiting (laughs) for space news (laughs) play the audio It's news
0: <laughs> last week uh we were gonna talk about gravitational waves uh ligo being detected and that got shot down mm-hmm. and so i want to talk about something this week that uh was not gonna get shot down because it's ever present <laughs> that's light pollution
1: oh i was gonna guess gravity
0: <laughs> you know what also true yes one of the other fundamental forces besides electromagnetism and so there's this kind of this new study that came out about how light pollution is a way bigger deal than we all think it is most people are like oh man i got these street lamps i can only see like 40 stars outside when i go Mm -hmm. back to new brunswick and see the people that i care about there's so many stars right yeah if you ever been on a boat in the middle of the ocean Mm -hmm. hopefully a ship not just a boat I have never been, but I'm sure from what I understand is that you see a lot of stars. Now, this is the extent of light pollution of what what we think about it generally, but it's not the case. Turns out, Kaylee, is that light pollution is not only important to astronomers trying to observe in the visible... (laughs) I wish you could see Kaylee's eyes right now. (laughs) Wide open. She's bug-eyed, which is appropriate because it turns out A ton of bugs are dying from light. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I I don't mean to bring the doom and gloom for you all the time with space (laughs) news, but my goodness, is it absolutely stunning the amount of bugs that are dying because of light? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you really think about it it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to recognize that when you <laughs> turn a porch lamp on there's a ton of dead bugs outside right? yeah yeah but it goes further than that it's not just bugs flying into these hot light bulbs and zapping themselves mm. out of the sky it is in fact sort of bugs who you know communicate through bioluminescence fireflies and whatnot mm. hello 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 <laughs> they want to let each other know that they're open for business but turns out if there's a bunch of other light around they get confused yeah I, that makes sense exactly furthermore other bugs who you know <laughs> figure out their 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 rhythms by the amount of light their 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 yearly rhythms what's going on they're all confused mm-hmm. and they've been confused for a really long time
1: yeah for as long as we've had lights or just
0: recently yeah and i yeah and i mean light pollution is increasing mm-hmm. who's that who's that a rapper who is bringing light to africa <laughs> Oh, Akon? Acon? Akon? Akon. Yeah. Akon yeah. doing great things, but also, guess what? There's a lot more lights now. It's going to kill the bugs. These <laughs> going to kill the bugs. And so, I mean, not to be doom and gloom about this for the second time using this overused phrase, <laughs> but the climate crisis, it's not just rising sea levels. We're killing animals at an insane rate. So, mm-hmm. hey, people, turn the lights off, save the planet, save the bugs. It's one and the same all right i mean i'm
1: so i can see the space connection i'm gonna say it's more space adjacent this is more like
0: bug news but okay (laughs) (laughs) it's not bug kaylee don't get me above bug news listen okay (laughs) everybody talks about light pollution in the lens of the astronomer because you you get your little Mm -hmm. get your little telescope out on the back at the back deck you can't see anything because it's so damn bright outside even when it's supposed to be dark and guess what that's not me saying that that's the Beatles. Okay. I'd look. The Beatles I'll... being the bug, not the band. Even so. though I'm sure that the Beatles, the band, are upset about the lights
1: too. Also not love of the light pollution. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so main takeaway, Alex has been talking to a lot of Beatles. Um, <laughs> PhD is going well. Me we and Paul, we're, <laughs> we're on about the lights. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to go sit in the dark now. Um, yeah. but, Paul McCartney. Yeah.
0: A big proponent of saving water. I once heard that a friend of ours that we both know saw Paul McCartney play live. And for three straight hours, he didn't take a sip of water despite singing the entire time. So be Be like Paul and save water.
1: Because of his passion about water. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, Uh,
0: Yeah. Anyway, this has been uh, an episode covering the 29th Ministry of Canada, an election in Hong Kong, an election that's happening in the Marshall Islands which may or may not be democratic. I mean, the Supreme Court says it's not. But what do we know? Yeah. What do they know?
1: I mean, I, look, I wouldn't have imagined we would have this shuffle of things together, but we've done it.
0: Nuclear it... bombs, beetles, digital walls, physical walls, strained metaphors. And with that, <laughs> thanks for listening to Probably Go Politics. You know what to do. You probably already have, so I don't mean to berate you, but maybe your friends who haven't rated and reviewed the pod, leave a comment we have a five star maybe a four star if you heard too much about bugs today uh get on a get at us about the mailing list probably about politics at gmail.com or find us on our gorgeous website probpolitics.wixsite.com slash podcast or on twitter at probpolitics, or on instagram at probpolitics. thanks for listening